Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to Left of Straight Show. It is Tuesday, July 7, 2020, and I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I hope you guys are having a great start to the week. Mine is going pretty well here in beautiful downtown Northeast Ohio. It's a little hot and humid, but other than that, doing pretty well. Guys, it's a pre-tape show this week because I was supposed to be on the big gay road trip to California and back to do four weeks of shows from Palm Springs Indulge Resort. So we have a lot of interviews we did the last week that we're playing this week. So they're all pre-tapes, but they're all brand new and very, very cool. So I'll have a couple for you in just a minute. If you missed last night's show, we did our Music Monday, and I had two great guests on. We did Ladies' Night, actually, and we had the fantastic um, Nat Puff, also known as Live at London, on the show. And then we had Rachel Sage, a singer-songwriter in New York City. So Washington, New York City, great Music Monday. We usually have our Music Minute with Zach and my... uh, Special correspondent Zach Day from The Voice has actually caught COVID-19. He is down in hurting right now. He's able to stay at home. He's not having to be hospitalized. He's in a lot of pain, very weak. So if you know our buddy Zach and you want to reach out and say hi to him and wish him better, it's at you know Zach on Twitter and Instagram. That's Y-O-U-K-N-O-W-Z-A-C-H. Tell him Left to Straight Show wants him back and well and send him a little get well message. So that was last night. You can always check that out. Your favorite podcast distributor, iTunes, um, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all the good ones there. And tonight, two brand new interviews for you. We're going to start in just a couple seconds here. First up, we have Patrick Hines on. Patrick is an amazing LGBTQ advocate. He has been podcasting now for years. He started with Broadway. He now does True Crime And his current podcast has over three and a half million downloads a month. 
called True Crime Obsession that he does with his partner, uh, with a partner. And uh, so we're going to talk to him first about his podcasting career because it's been pretty amazing and successful. And then when we come back on the second half, we're going to interview um, Richard Biglia. Richard was suggested by a listener of the show, uh, and he is a great actor, model, a dancer, and fitness instructor. He's from Brazil, has a great story to tell, been in some great shows, and we had a great interview as well. So be sure to listen to both of those interviews. We're going to play them right now. And I'll be back in between time. So I hope you're having a great night. Let's start it off with a little bit of song. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Patrick Hines. Listen to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Just a steel town girl on a Saturday night Looking for the fight of a life in a real-time world, no one sees her at all They all say she's crazy Locking rhythms to the beat of her heart Changing movement into the light She is dancing to the danger zone When the dancer becomes a dance It can cut you like a knife If a gift becomes a fire on a wire between will and what will be She's a maniac, maniac on the floor And she's dancing like she never danced before She's a maniac, maniac on the floor
everybody, guys. We are back. That was my favorite stripped-down version of Maniac by Unsung Lily. If you missed my interview with them, be sure to check those Left to Straight show archives right over there. Guys, I'm excited to have my next guest on the show. He's a fellow podcaster, and I use the term fellow humbly because dudes and dudettes, he is killing it. Beginning in 2013, when he created, co-produced, and hosted the Theater People podcast, he interviewed Tony Winners and a who's who of Broadway and has gone and do such great podcasts as Broadway Backstory, the official Disney on Broadway, and he's currently killing it on True Crime Obsessed, where he's one of the few, if not only, LGBTQ hosts in the true crime genre. That's currently the most popular genre in them, by the way. And he co-hosts with the very lovely and talented Ms. Jillian Pensavelle. Just to keep his uh, gay card intact, he's also the co-author of The Whole World Was Watching, Living in the Light of Matthew Shepard, and the author of The Q Guide to New York City Pride. I'm so excited to talk to him, so please welcome to the show for the very first time, the handsome and talented Mr. Patrick Hines. Patrick, how are we doing, buddy? Hey, oh my goodness, I'm great. How are you? That was such a nice intro. I forgot half of that stuff. <laughs> There you go. Life is a cabaret, my friend, and you have had a banquet full. I'm loving it. How you holding up, my friend? Yeah, you know, I was just learning that we are literally at the halfway point of 2020, and I'm glad to be halfway done with it. <laughs> but there yes, you but go. Been, you know, work week, great work day, you know, looking forward to the weekend. All good. I hear you. We got a 4th of July weekend. Could be a strange one, but uh, you know, time know. for tough out there. I swear, I just saw... I saw Ice T on a super lame commercial yesterday, and today my Twitter feed says he joined Cameo. So if a Law and Order regular is in trouble, <laughs> we got we got to watch what's happening, right? It's a little crazy out that there. That is, oh my God, that is so funny. <laughs> Give uh, my listeners a little bit of background, Patrick. Where did you grow up, and what kind of a kid were you? Uh, so I grew up uh, in Massachusetts, mostly uh, on Cape Cod. Um, I think I moved to Cape Cod when I was uh, in third grade. And, you know, I was like your general happy gay kid. My mom was gay. My mom is gay. She's still with us. I, so I was raised in the gay community. I came out really young. Um, so, my, you know, I have uh, two sisters and a brother. We're all pretty close. And um, it, was, it was a pretty fun time. You know, we were poor. So I w- started working when I was, you know, 12 years old or something. And that really helped instill a, a work ethic in me. And, you know, mm. it was that was sort of my, my young life. And then I, I uh, grew up and I went to college in Boston. Um, I went to Emerson College. And then I moved to New York literally the day after I graduated college. Uh, I got a job working for CNBC. I had been sort of a communications major in college. Um, it was a terrible job for me. And you know, <laughs> after about nine months of it, I quit. And I became, I sort of went into the restaurant business as a way of, you know, being able to sort of, like, do my creative project. So, yeah, that was when I started writing, and then, you know, eventually it became podcasting, and now here I am. There you go. Well, we've definitely had similar paths. You are a younger, more handsome, and thinner version of me. I only slight you hate you for it. <laughs> I had a restaurant life in my previous life as well before I did the whole podcast thing. So I know where you're coming yeah. from. Let's start with a little bit of talking about Pride. We just came out of Pride Month a week or so ago here, and I'm excited. I mean, you wrote these two great books um, back in 2005, 2007, about Matthew Shepard and the Q Guide to New York City Pride, and you kind of touched it in your books, and I like 
personally that we've kind of got back to that protest part of it this year. How have you felt yeah. Pride went this year? Can you feel the tone change? And uh, what do you feel you know, about it? I'm happy personally. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, Pride, it, it was a really interesting um, coincidence that that Pride happened right as the Black Lives Matter movement was sort of being reignited and we were seeing a lot of those protests. And, you know, Pride was founded as a protest. I mean, the, the whole idea of Pride started in 1970 in New York City. Um, it was, you know, the the march here was in response to the Stonewall riots of 1969. And so, you know, the the march happened a year later. And I just watched this, like, little 11-minute documentary that was all footage from that day. And it's, you know, it was so different then than it is now. It The people who participated were terrified. It was a very scary thing to identify yourself as gay publicly. They marched up uh, 6th Avenue, and they were only given one lane, and then there was, like, three lanes of traffic driving past them. People were gawking at them. It was really scary and now to see what it's become you know 50 years later this was the 50th anniversary of pride this year it's really now it's such a celebration but but the fact that it's rooted in being a protest is really it's very meaningful to me and the fact that this year it sort of um it happened to sort of happen at the same time as these black lives matters protests happened was a was a great thing and i think that a lot of prides including the pride here in new york city i think a lot of us who care about pride were really concerned with making sure that we were using the platform of pride to elevate the black lives matter protest in in whatever way we could and i think that that really helped reignite a lot of people's feelings of passion for pride. I mean, I, I think it's great that pride, some people get really upset that like you, you watch a pride March and there's like a JetBlue float and a visa float. I love that. I love that major corporations care about having a presence in the LGBT community and the movement. I feel seen by these companies. I know that they are there because they want to attract customers, but they also wouldn't be there. Um, you know, just the fact of them being there is showing support. So I really love that. Uh, but I do think it's great that we are returning a little bit to that idea of protest and that we are not all equal as LGBT people and, you know, sort of highlighting the the other movements that are happening around us. I think this was a really, really interesting pride this year. I'm kind of similar, a little different. I mean, I don't really need to have to have the Budweiser tent next to the drag stage specifically, but I wish I'd put that money towards different LGBTQ causes. But I do like that they are uh-huh. participating. I think that's important. I think we need to have that visibility in the corporate structure to just kind of say, hey, it's all right there, if nothing else, for their own employees um, to show yeah. that the company supports that. So I agree. I agree 100 uh, percent in the overall scope of that. And as you said, I really do like that we're kind of bringing it back to what we had. I mean, we were we were formed off of the black trans women, like you said, and all this history that we have coincides yep. so much with Black Lives. And as we bring it together, Black Lives Matters again, it's kind of a, a good thing to see the communities together because we have not always been together, much like the bisexual community has always kind of felt a little separate and transgender. I think I can really feel it yeah. coming together this year. Yeah. And I think one thing that we, that a lot of people don't necessarily know, like this is one of the things I wrote about in the Q guide, but the Q guide that I wrote, you know, all those years ago really was meant to like highlight the various things in LGBT history that have happened in New York city. And, 
you know, one of the things that was so interesting about that time in the late 60s, early 70s, was that there were all of these movements happening on top of each other, like the Black, the Black Panthers movement and the, you know, the burgeoning mm. gay rights movement and the women's movement and the anti-war protests. And they, they didn't really come together very much. You know, I think that, like, the, the gay rights movement took a lot of inspiration from the Black Panthers movement. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of coming together. And now to see all of, like you were just saying, to see all of these different movements sort of happening again on top of each other, but this time really going out of their way to support each other and to really be there for each other in the way that, like, you know, certainly we have a long way to go with uh, trans equality, even within our own movement. But to see that, you know, the visibility, I mean, I, I was thinking about this year, Elizabeth Warren in particular, whenever she was at a campaign stop, she would like read the name of the trans women of color that had been murdered so far this year. That was like an important right. part of her platform was to bring visibility to that. And it, I mean, it really see, I mean, it's easy to forget in this crazy time that we're living in where things are so scary and, and we feel that, you know, we feel hatred, N- not, not saying that we personally feel hatred, but we feel as marginalized people, we feel hatred towards us coming from the top. And it's easy to forget that there's a lot of great people in power who really are also trying to do the right thing, you know, and I, I think seeing a lot of that this year has been, um, it's been, you know, I don't know, it's, it's made me, it's made me feel a little bit better about the world, I guess. There you go. And good on you for all your experience through the years. I mean, you've worked with GLAAD before. You you hired drag queens to kind of greet people when you were doing different things for Stonewall Uprising and tours yeah. of the LGBTQ landmarks in New York City. Talk about that. That's amazing work. I love that. Yeah. So so uh, for True Crime Obsessed, my, my true crime comedy podcast that I make with Jillian, we, we were on tour. We do a lot of live shows, and that's one of my favorite things to do. And last year, um, for the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, uh, the Stonewall Riots, we decided we wanted to do a Pride show in New York City. And so we rented the big, like, 600-seat theater, and we really wanted to make an event out of it. So on True Crime Obsessed, we recap true crime, uh, true crime documentaries. And so for this big live Pride show, we decided to recap the documentary Stonewall Uprising, which is this great PBS documentary all about the Stonewall Riots and sort of a little bit of a history of the gay rights movement. And we decided we hired these like three fabulous drag queens and this lesbian comedian to open for us. And, you know, it was incredible. And, and really it was a, it was kind of a bit of a dream come true for me because the day of the pride show. So the show was at like 7 PM or whatever. I had decided that anybody who had bought a ticket to the show, I would, um, I was going to lead walking tours around the West village of all of the LGBT landmarks that were in the documentary that the people were going to see that night. And so that day we did something I, I led like 10 or 11 walking tours that each had like something. I don't remember 40 to 50 people on each tour. And we did this walk around the village where I pointed out the landmarks and it was like something I've always wanted. It was the reason why I wrote that Q guide all those years ago was because I care about the history and the landmarks and I want people to know about it. And especially now that the West village where all of that stuff is, is significantly less gay than it was even when I moved to New York 20 years ago, it's really not a gay neighborhood anymore. So it was really right. cool to like take people win. down there and show them around. So yeah, it was, that was something I'm very proud of. We were going to do it again this year. Um, but then of course, all of our live shows got canceled for the year. So hopefully next year we'll get to, we'll get to do it again. Right. But you still killed it. I mean, congratulations work with Spotify and their 24 hour pride party. And you guys, your yeah. Harvey milk episode was featured on unlike any other playlist, so you're you're still killing it, my friend, and I appreciate all of that. Oh, okay. that is awesome. It's cool. It's very, very fun to be, you know, 
Oh, I was just going to say, it's cool to be sort of like a, a, an LGBT voice in the true crime space. And that's true. There, there aren't a lot of us. There's another podcast called Martinis and Murder that's really good that's hosted by um, John Thrasher and Darren Carpet, something that Oxygen does. And they're both, uh, they're, they're both gay. And they, they have this really cool LGBTQ sensibility in the true crime space, too. So there's, well, there's only a handful of us, but we're a, a small minority, but we, we have fun. We like to be loud. <laughs> And what brought on this genre to choose from? Like I said, it's the number one podcast genre there is right now, true crime. But tell me, what was your guys' impetus for going into this genre specifically? You know, I have always been, I mean, like so many people, I really am fascinated by true crime stories. And so I really loved podcasting. Um, I've been doing it for a long time, and I met Jillian uh, we both came from the Broadway podcasting world and we, you know, we became friends and I wanted to do something that was a little bit more mainstream. And I thought like, she's really into true crime. I'm really into true crime. We should try to figure out, you know, some kind of true crime podcast that doesn't already exist and see if we can make a go of it. And and so we did. I mean, it really came out of, you know, this new friendship with Jillian and the fact that we both really like true crime and we wanted to work on a project together. We never, I mean, really, we've been doing it for almost three years now. We never thought of it in the beginning as like a successful thing that we would be doing as a job. Like both of us had a million other jobs when we started the podcast. Um, And so to see where we are now, where like it's our full-time job and my husband quit his job to manage us really. I mean, it's kind of like the, the like the, the amount that it's grown has just been crazy. I bet. Well, with three and a half million downloads per month, definitely. Talk about that. I mean, you say we we talked off air, you're in a studio, because I can imagine the research for true crime drama. You have a husband who calls himself a uh, podcast, a widower, which I love, and you have a young daughter. (laughs) Do we do any research at home? Do we have to hide our notes at home, or is it all done in office when you're going through all these? Well, the good news is, like, there's not a lot of like original research that goes into our episodes. So what we really do is because we recap documentaries, we watch, Jillian and I will watch the documentary separately and then take really serious, intricate notes on it. So if a documentary is about 90 minutes long, it usually takes me about seven or eight hours to watch it and take notes. And then we honestly just, I mean, we used to do it in person and now we record over, you know, we record over FaceTime um, but we basically just get together and we we just recap it. We just honestly just start talking about it and we go through it and we, you know, it, it's all for the moment. Nothing is scripted. Um, it's all very organic and original. And yeah, so, you know, so luckily I'm not like, you know, under the covers with my laptop, like looking up, you know, Ted Bundy facts. It's sort of everything <laughs> comes from the documentary, which is good. Nice. And I mean, Jillian is funny as hell. You are so funny. Did you did you plan on going the comedy route with this, or just that way your personality just kind of meshed in the beginning? Yeah, we did not. We never. Neither Jillian or I think of ourselves as funny people, really. Like you know, we're the kind of people that like we make our friends laugh or whatever, but we would never think about like doing stand-up comedy or anything like that. So like we didn't mm-hmm. when we when we first got together, we wanted to make a thing where. It was going to be a, a podcast where we sort of like, it was in three segments. We were going to do a news segment, like a true crime news segment, and then an interview segment. And then like in the middle, we were going to sort of just like chat about a thing, like review it kind of. And when we sat down right. to actually record and we were talking about this documentary called The Imposter, Jillian was just like making me laugh so hard. And I was just like, wow, like, you know, listening back to it, I was like, we're not finding humor in the crime 
or, you know, in what happened to the victim, really the humor is coming from like, you know, like how mad we're getting or like silly things that people say or what this lady's house looks like or the, the idiot prosecutor that said this dumb thing. Like that's <laughs> where all the humor was coming from. And I realized like there really isn't a podcast where people are recapping documentaries. Like they're, even though the space is so oversaturated, like that doesn't really seem to exist. Like I think this could be our thing. Yeah. And that's, that's what we went for. Well, it was a knock it out of the park success, my friend. Absolutely think Thank it's you. hilarious. And talk about um, turning it now into a network. I mean, now you have people, an entire network talking about true crime. How do you choose who you'd like to feature? Um, is it is it a group that you knew ahead of time or people coming to you or how did that come about? Yeah, so what we so True Crime Obsessed, you know, became this big success. And so we realized that like we wanted to be able to make more shows is really what it was. I mean, and so making the network, what we're doing is we're creating a lot of like original shows. So our we have True Crime Obsessed, our first spin off podcast was called Obsessed with Objective in Plain Sight. Um, which was a deep dive on the documentary Objective in Plain Sight, which I made with the director of the documentary, Sky Boardman. So we did four episodes that got, you know, told stories that had never been heard before, new interviews. Um, and so that was our first spinoff. Our second spinoff is called Obsessed with Disappeared. And so this is a new podcast that I make with my best friend of 20 years, Ellen Marsh. Uh, and we recap, we, we want to make a missing persons podcast that focused specifically on those cases. And so we decided mm. we would do that by recapping episodes of a show on the ID channel called Disappeared, where each episode tells the story of a missing person. Um, and so that, that podcast launched uh, five or six or seven weeks ago. And so that's going really well. We have a new podcast coming up uh, from the journalist Maggie Freeling. I can't really say too much about it yet, but that's coming out in September. And then we've got a, a bunch of other shows coming uh, w- within the next year or so. So really creating the network was just a way of like being able to make more shows that we just wanted to exist. Congratulations. That is awesome. And talk about Thanks. the live shows. Um, I mean, you wrote the book about Matthew Shepard with uh, Romaine Patterson, who, of course, Derek and Romaine have done their cruises forever and taken their show live before. Where was the idea to take your guys' show live? And it was such an immediate success. What do you really enjoy about that part of the business? You know, I, we're, I'm such an extrovert, and our listeners were have been really, really engaged with us from the beginning. We have this, like, this great online community. We have this really, this, like, thriving Facebook group for our podcast that has almost 30,000 people in it. So people were really interactive, and they wanted to meet us in real life, and they wanted to see us live. And so we just were like, all right, well, I mean, we could do this live. Basically, on the podcast, we use clips from the documentary, like audio clips. And I'm like, we could just do this in front of an audience and use video clips. And that's kind of what we did. And right away, I mean, it was a big hit. You know, we were selling out our shows from the minute we decided to do live shows. And they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, we had this whole tour planned for 2020. We were going to be the first podcast to ever play Broadway. We had booked a date on Broadway. Um, and right. all of that had to be canceled. We still are going to do it. We're going to do Broadway in 2021. We just We don't know the exact date yet. Um, but the live shows are just incredible. It's like the the energy is just so high. You know, our audience is so engaged in there. You know, we love telling these stories live. Like I said, nothing is scripted. So it's all happening. It feels almost like an improv show. Um, Julian and I are very different. I, I'm crazy and I'm up and running up and down the aisles and, 
yelling and screaming at Julian <laughs> sort of holds the fort down on the stage. And it's just great. I mean, the live shows are just really, really fun. I miss them. I can't, I can't wait to getting back to doing those. I bet. Well, we miss Broadway in general till 2021. Talk about yeah. that a second. I mean, you started with, like I said, great Broadway shows, and now you're in true crime. I'm sure you still have the passion for entertainment and Broadway. And with everything that's happening now, are you kind of getting an itch to get back in there and support your people you used to support so well before? What's your feeling yeah. about Broadway I mean, and entertainment in general right now? Yeah, I mean, we live, you know, in the heart of New York City. We live, you know, like, literally in the middle of the theater district. It's sad. I mean, Broadway – Broadway is my favorite thing, truly. And, like, the fact that, you know, our daughter, we took her to two Broadway shows this year, and we were getting ready to take her to more. Just last night, my husband showed her. Um, there's this old uh, taped version of Into the Woods with Bernadette Peters live on Broadway, and he was showing that to her last night. So it's becoming even more of, like, a family affair. And I miss it. I mean, it's really, really sad. You know, New York, Broadway is in the heart of New York City. I always think of it as the heart of New York City. You know, it's lacking. New York is lacking a certain energy when we, we're not seeing those eight shows a week. So it's really sad. I'm, I'm glad the world is getting to see Hamilton. You know, the Hamilton just launched. So people who right. have that can get a little bit of their theater fixed that way. Um, but I miss it. You know, Broadway is, it's really, it's really sad to not have Broadway happening right now. Exactly. And I haven't heard how they're doing Hamilton, but I really think that is one way we could support our artists. There is a lot of shows that have been filmed in the archive and we have Broadway HD that streams. It was, I would love to be able to see some kind of royalties or something given to these actors that have put so much into Broadway and are now just out of work and unemployed. Uh, hopefully we can see more things like Hamilton, but I just don't know. We need to find some way to support these guys, right? You know, there are ways to do it. I mean, there's a great uh, organization called The Act. They've been really doing a lot of great work supporting actors during this time that they've been out of work. So, you know, if anybody out there is listening and wants to give money to a charity that supports the Broadway community, check out The Actors Fund. Um, it's a really, really great organization that does just that. Oh, and I did want to go into, and I should have brought this up earlier, but one thing that you and Jillian did, I was obsessed with my so-called life back in the day. You guys actually did yes. a podcast about it. Talk about that oh my experience because you that. did this right in the middle of everything else, and I love that show. How was that to go through? Yeah, it was amazing. So my so-called life is like one of Jillian's favorite favorite shows. She she rewatches it every year. Um, I had watched it and really loved it when I was in high school, but I hadn't seen it since. And so this was a couple years ago. Jillian and I, you know, we we were probably fifty or sixty episodes into True Crime Obsessed, and we were looking for another project, and we thought like, let's do that. And so we did a twenty episode. Um, episode by episode recap of my so-called life. And it's really, really good and really fun. And then it ended with, we got to interview Winnie Holtzman, the creator and writer of all the episodes. Um, and so that was really, really fun to do. I mean, if you like my so-called life, or if you think you would like my so-called life and you like recap podcasts, go check it out. It's called, um, God, what, what is that podcast called? It's called my so-called podcast is what it's called. Uh, and it's there great. It's a really, really fun one. Very good. I did see a couple episodes because, like I said, I ha I was obsessed with that show as well. So I loved it. It was very good. Talk about state of podcasting yeah. right now. I mean, you are so busy. Everyone seems to be wanting to do a podcast these days. And with all this time off, everyone can do a podcast these days. Yeah. Talk about um, reasons behind it. Why should Why should someone go into it now? What makes it really worth it to do a podcast these days? 
You know, it's one of those things where, like, it's, you know, everybody has a different reason for wanting to make a podcast. You know, some people want to just, like, do something creative, and they've got something to say, and, they, you know, it, it's not about making a lot of money or finding a huge following. And I think that's lovely. I think that's wonderful. I think podcasting can be a very uh, satisfying creative outlet in that way. But at the same time, there's also a lot of room to really grow an audience. I mean, you know, the thing that's great about podcasting is that it doesn't cost a lot of money to, to make one. So anybody can really start up a podcast. And if your goal is to find a big audience and try to monetize and make some money, you know, social media is a really, it's a free way of marketing your own brand and getting it out there. And I always tell people that like, if you want to make a living making a podcast, you really need to be obsessed with podcasts. You know, you have to love listening to podcasts. You have to know what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, I always say imitate your favorite podcast because that's what you're trying to do. That's what I did. Um, and you know, it's, Still, podcasting is still a wide open market that really anybody can get into. There's no, you know, there's no studio head that you have to, you know, impress that's going to, you know, buy your podcast and, and blow it up. Like anybody can make a small independent podcast now and make it a big deal if they, if they work and try really hard, you know, or you can just make a fun thing for you and your friends. Like it's, it's still a creative landscape that is figuring out what it is. And that was my second part, and I think you touched on it lightly, because I'm in that position myself. Where I, this is my fifth year. I've been doing it. I love doing a podcast. I did it for two days a week um, for five years now. But when the pandemic hit, I kind of knew that there was an outlet. People were looking for an outlet for um, more content. And, of course, all of, I interview people in entertainment, so they're out of work and have plenty of time to call into a show. So I've gone to five yeah. days a week since mid-April, and uh, oh my god, my numbers have blown up. But it's like it's a lot of how do you how do I balance between the work? How did you find your balance between the workload of all this? Because right now you're doing about eight thousand things at once, and getting the promotion to <laughs> yeah. kind of make it into a real type thing. Because I've done it as a hobby. Now I kind of I've enjoyed this five days a week thing. It's really kind of become fun. What should be someone yeah. like me's next steps into turning it into a full-time gig? You know, it's, we were lucky with Chicago Obsessed. We had um, a company reach out to us very early on and ask if we were interested in having them sell ads for us on our podcast. And so we did. Mm. I mean, there's lots, of, there's lots of companies out there who do that, like Midroll does it, Stitcher does it. You know, I would say the next step would be reach out to them and let them know about what you're doing and, you know, find out if there's any room for them, for you on their platform. It's hard to, like, the idea of selling ads yourself, like being your own salesperson, certainly you can do it. I know people who have done it and have been really successful at it. But it's like it's, it's a whole other job on top of what you're already doing. So the best thing right. for somebody who is looking to, like, monetize their podcast, research those companies that sell ads for podcasts and just reach out to them and see, you know, what you, what you need to do to get in with them and have them do that for you. And, and the other sides, I mean, you want to look into equipment and everything I can imagine. I mean, to bring stuff to the next step, what are you right there that are really looking to make um, a decent quality podcast? Like you said, there's not a lot of cost involved, but you can make yeah. um, some upgrades to make yourself sound better and get out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a great website that I use a lot. It's called transom.org. It's T-R-A-N-S-O-M, I think, .org. Um, and their design, the whole idea of this website is to give people information about how to make great sounding audio. 
um, without having a ton of education. You know, there's articles and there's tutorials. And so I would say, like, spend a lot of time on that looking, you know, like trying to figure out the best equipment to get and how to record audio and make it sound good. And then also, you know, be patient with yourself, but also learn, you know, like for me, when I was just getting started, I was never satisfied with the sound, with the audio quality, with the editing. I always wanted to learn and get better. And that's what I mean about like being obsessed with it. Like, you know, it really is a thing that you have to be obsessive about in order to like make a thing that is going to be able to like make money at this point. Um, but there's lots of ways, you know, you basically just spend time on the internet, you know, and, and like trying to like look up how to get better at what you're doing, I guess. Right. Right. Well said. And the last kind of piece of the puzzle that I've been looking at too, and I want to get your opinion. I've always felt I've had the face for radio and everyone so much is doing the <laughs> streaming now and all that part. What mm-hmm. do you think that, do you see that trend coming where everyone needs to kind of add the video element to an audio podcast? Do you see audio podcast still as a thing for a while? Oh yeah. No, I, I don't think, I mean, you know, it's all a marketing tool. Like I mean, it, it, the podcast is the thing, right? So like anybody who's like, you know, trying to beef up their YouTube channel or incorporate video for, in my opinion, they're doing it for marketing. It's something that we're looking at to do for marketing because it's just another way of getting your thing out there in the world for people to see. But as far as like the audio podcast, I mean, that's its own, the audio podcast is its own genre. It's just a matter of like how you're, how you're, how you're reaching people to sort of find your podcast. Gotcha. Very cool. And what are, as we start to wrap things up here, what are uh, top five goals for you here in the future? Um, personally and professionally, where do you hope you go for it? And you've had this remarkable success. You're, you're working so hard, making sure all these kind of pieces come together. Where do you see yourself in five years from now? What do you want to be doing more of? Yeah, I mean, you know, building the Obsessed Network is really my main goal. I want to, you know, keep making amazing podcasts. I want to find new podcasts and, you know, elevate new voices. Um, I really want to get back out on the road and and be touring more, Um, you know, getting better at what I do. I would really love to find more of a work-life balance. That's always been a Mm. challenge for me. Um, so that would be my personal goal. And, you know, just to be able to keep making a living making podcasts. I mean, that's for me, like, that's the ultimate dream, you know, professionally. I love it. And do you have any ideas percolating in the back of your head? If you had to create a new podcast in the next month, what what is uh, something that you're really interested in that you'd like to pursue? Well, I'm not going to give away my great ideas. <laughs> But I will say, Understand I, do that. Have, like, lots of, <laughs> I do have lots of thoughts of things I want to make. Um, there's something I'm working on right now that I'm really excited about that doesn't really exist uh, out there in the true crime space. So um, more on that soon. But I for sure have tons of ideas. That's like my big problem. My husband is tired of my ideas. <laughs> now, is he, you said he's now managing the, the back end there and – taking care of that does he have any desire to get on air do you try to force him or the daughter on air ever (laughs) i'll tell you there was a great podcast that he and i were both on a long time ago called hgtv and me uh made by my friend rebecca lavoy uh and he was amazing on it basically we were on a segment where we were kind of like live recapping an episode of an hgtv show like house hunters or whatever it was and Steve is hilarious on that show. If you want to hear my husband being funny on a podcast, go listen to HGTV and me. 
I love that. That's a great idea. How fun. Good job yeah. on yeah, that. Yeah, really fun. Yeah. Well, Patrick Hines, this has been such an amazing interview. I wish you all the success in the world, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on, my friend. Well, thanks for having me. This has been so great. And let everyone know where they can find you on social media and uh, download these great episodes. Yes, yeah, so you can find True Crime Obsessed um, and also Obsessed with Disappeared anywhere you get your podcast. You can follow me on Instagram. It's at Patrick Hines underscore. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Patrick Hines. And my name has a weird spelling. It's H-I-N-Z for David, S for Sam. All right. Super duper Patrick Hines. Stay on the line for me, guys. We're going to play a little song. I'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Give me the power back. Give me the power back. Another smiling face gone to waste, playing inspired now. Giving too much to feel the heat. So close your eyes, no surprise, time ain't no stranger now. So give me the power back before it's gone forever. And it's the feeling that you're feeling start to show. Pray to God you remember them, holding on till you reach the end. Cause when you're lying, everybody knows. Ooh, this ain't a love song, baby. We don't need another one of those. Give me back the control, and I'll be blowing your mind. I'll bet your life I'll be taking no prisoners anymore. So don't waste my time. Why you gotta complain? All the drama ain't free. When the music you make out, you feeling some type of way. Just shut up. I'm getting fever dreams, saying things I don't believe in now. But my reflection looks alright. I guess as long as you got the view, they say that you need it. There's no getting the power back until the show is over. And it's the feeling that your feelings start to show. Pray to God you remember them, holding on till you reach the end. Heartbreak, baby, we've already heard how it goes Give me back the control And I'll be blowing your mind I'll bet your life I'll be taking no prisoners anymore So don't waste my time Why you gotta complain All the drama ain't free When the music you make out you feeling some type of way Just shut up
All righty, we are back. That was Z Machine with Powered Back. That was a great interview with Patrick. You need to check out his podcast. Uh, just a great guy, and he has some great books to read as well. So thanks so much, Patrick, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Guys, our next interview is going to be with Richard Biglia. Again, he is a model, actor, dancer, personal trainer. He does it all. Very handsome, very talented from Brazil originally. We talk all about his backstory and where he learned his craft. And just a great time chatting with him. So let's go ahead and play another song. And then on the other side, we'll be back with Richard Biglia. And I'll be back after that with another song. And we'll close the show up. You listen to Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. I fell in love with a photo over heels for a face I'll never know Squeaky clean in a bathrobe Just a hint of the skin that hides below I can't help it, I'm already, already Daydreaming this fantasy, fantasy Repeating, but nobody's stripping for me All I got are these eyes looking out of my screen by Stefan Alexander, and my next guest is definitely pretty as a picture, literally, as a model, dancer, and actor. He trained in New York City and comes to us via his native Brazil. He is more than just a pretty face with fantastic credits, including productions of everything from On the Town to Spring Awakening to Evita. He's been dancing from classical ballet and beyond was brought to my attention from a regular listener of the Left and Straight show, and after a little research, I knew I had to have him on the show. Please welcome for the very first time, the handsome and talented, Mr. Richard Biglia. Richard, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having I'm me. I'm so happy. You are very welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. How is everything for you in beautiful downtown L.A.? 
Uh, first couple months here have been a little crazy. You doing good? Yeah, I am doing good. Like quarantine was was rough in the beginning, and then uh, I kind of like learned how to navigate and and adjust to the new normal. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like we we might go back to a full lockdown soon if if the cases keep going up. We'll see what happens. Crossing our fingers or not, if people just wear their damn masks and do what they're supposed to do, it'd be a nice thing, right? They're just silly yeah, people. Yeah, but there's a lot of people out already. Like this this uh, weekend I was driving around uh, West Hollywood and there's a lot of people out on the streets and group of people. Some of them are not wearing masks. It's just, I think people are a little over, but it, it, there's nothing we can do. Like if we don't follow the rules, we're, go- we're just going to be in this situation for longer, which sucks. Exactly. I mean, it's like... And I understand everyone getting kind of stir crazy at home and want to be out and everything with their friends, but it's not that hard to wear a mask and you can kind of pay attention distance wise. If you're wearing a mask, you can go closer than your six feet. You just got to pay attention and everything. So we'll see what happens. Exactly. We'll knock on wood here. Well, I'm like I said, so excited to come to have you on. I want to talk about your background a little bit first. Talk about, uh, you're native Brazil. Talk a little bit about where you came from and what kind of a kid were you when you were growing up? Were you like oh, rambunctious, quiet, shy? Uh, well, I had like kind of two different phases growing up. I was, um, when I was younger, younger, like I was very energetic, um, a little bossy, I would say, and a little spoiled. Um and but I I moved out of my mom's house to study uh, acting when I was 16, and I think like having like leaving uh, my my home so soon, it kind of uh, helped me to grow up and and just like mature a lot in the way that I that I acted and I see things. So um, yeah, I, I, it was it was a good experience. It was very hard to like be on my own at 16, but I was always very determined what, what the things that I want to do and the goals that I had for my life. So that was good. And I, 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 I changed a lot. My mom even said to me, uh, the other day we were talking on the phone and she's like, wow, I never thought you were going to be like a nicer, calmer person now because you, you were a devil child when you were young. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Moms know his best, right? But she, she's proud yeah. of you now. That's awesome. I love that. Very, very cool. And talk about um, just dancing and acting. You started all that in Brazil. What is the entertainment world like down there? Was it hard to get into? And talk about that experience from that end. Sure. So I think just like here in the United States, uh, the, the business in Brazil, it's it's pretty similar. Like we have the – it depends if you want to do theater or if you want to do TV but we do have the two big main, main cities there that's Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. That, that's where, like, really, if you want to be an actor, you should be. The same thing, like, here, like, New York City or Los Angeles, where the market is it's bigger. Um, right. But it's, it, it's the same kind of a struggle. You need to put in the work, and you need to know the right people and meet the right people, um, network, um, so I, I didn't have much of a professional uh, career in Brazil because I moved to New York City when I was 19. So I've only mm. done uh, a few professional productions in theater down in the South. 
uh, and I've been up to a soap op- for a soap opera when I was uh, 18, and I was living in Brazil still. But that was pretty much what I did, and then I decided to move to New York to study, and ended up never going back. So most of my professional career really happened in the United States. Oh, that's fantastic. And you studied at the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York. What brought you, What? how did you kind of find that, or what made you choose your career there and go to New York as opposed to L.A.? What brought you to New York? Uh, well, so I, I've always had um, a big love for musical theater uh, since I was young in Brazil, and there was not a lot happening in Brazil for musical theater. You couldn't find a lot of uh, uh, schools that would have a good uh, program for it. So mm-hmm. I started dancing actually quite late. I started dancing when I was 17. I went to a ballet school and asked uh, the owners, like, hey, I want to start dancing. Uh, some schools offer, like, scholarship for male dancers be- just to, like, bring more male dancers into into the business. And she's like, sure, let's mm-hmm. come to a class. Let's see how you do it. So I went to my first ballet class, and she offered me a full scholarship to just uh, take classes, and then whenever she had performances that she needed guys, I had to perform for her. So that was kind of like our agreement, and I fell in love with it, so I started taking classes every day. Um, within a year, I was performing for her, and I think that's what like really made me want to do musical theater because I was already an actor. I had I had come from a uh, acting conservatory that I did in, in Brazil, uh, and musical theater would kind of let me do everything together, act, dance, sing, and I was always, like, infatuated with the Broadway productions. So with that, I wanted to do a musical theater program. I wanted to study musical theater. So I first I got um, a dance program at Broadway Dance Center in New York City. So it would, like, kind of branch out out of ballet. I would do, like, a little bit of theater dance. I did a little bit of jazz and, like, urban styles, like hip-hop, jazz funk and still do my ballet training uh so i stayed with them for six months then i went back to ballet i did a year and a half of ballet conservatory at manhattan youth ballet uh that all because it was like kind of like one thing was leading me to the other manhattan youth ballet also offered me a scholarship to to a full ride to, to study with them and it was such an amazing program with like wonderful teachers that came from new york city ballet uh, American Ballet Theater. It was a really good experience. So I stayed with them for a year and a half. And then I was like, my the reason why I did only dancing for the first uh, maybe year and a half, two years that I was in New York was because when I moved to the uh, United States, I didn't speak any English. So I was de- doing only dance classes so I could learn English and perfect a little bit more before I jumped back into acting and musical theater. So that's kind of like the path that I took, and then and then I decided to go and, and, and like tap back into the acting and the musical theater. So that's when I decided to go to um, to EMDA for a musical theater program. Gotcha. Well, that's amazing, and your English is fantastic. You're doing great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's been a few years <laughs> now, but goodness, you are damn good at it. There you go. Well, and talk about um, seventeen is late to start in dancing. Talk about that, uh, the movement and the discipline required for ballet. Did you take to it? It sounds like you took to it pretty quickly. What kind of was inside you that helped you with uh, be able to adapt to it so quickly? Yeah, so definitely 17, it is late to start dancing. Um, 
I am, like I said, I'm very determined when I want something. And when I started dancing, uh, I had no idea. I had no idea how hard ballet was or, like, how demanding it would be. I just went in because, some, like, I, I remember a friend telling me, like, oh, if you want to do musical theater, you have to start dancing. I would recommend you to start dancing, taking ballet classes because it's the foundation for everything. So, like, sure. Mm-hmm. So that's how everything started. But I really fell in love with it, with 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 the idea, with like with the classes and the structure of it. Um, and I I met some really great people at this school that I was at, like people that were like more on a professional level, and they were like been dancing for years, and they became really good friends. And they kind of like mentored me throughout the whole process, and I was challenging myself by taking like more advanced classes after a couple of months that I've been in school as well as still taking my beginner classes. And I was just there in the studio all the time. I would take one or two classes a day if I could. I would stretch. It was definitely hard because my body had already formed in a certain way. So I was having to like rework all of my joints and muscles and ligaments to make sure that I would be able to do all those movements. It was hard to start in a late like age but if it wasn't for it uh I don't think I would have had the success that I had when I moved into like other styles like theater dance and Broadway jazz and all that stuff gotcha I understand well and you do have an amazing body I was wondering about that as far as dancing goes because there is such a discipline involved were did were you working out? Were you fitness in, involved before you started dancing? And then, how do you keep up that? Because dancing is something you have to do constantly to kind of keep your limberness and everything. Do you incorporate that into your workouts through yoga, or how does that work body wise for you? Yeah, so that's funny you ask because I actually was not uh, into fitness or active at all before I started dancing. I was actually like a chubby kid. Um. So once I started dancing, that's when my body started changing a lot. But I, was, I wasn't into fitness. I didn't lift or work out. I would take dance classes. So that came later in life. So after, I would say, maybe when I was starting the musical theater program, that I realized that the dancers on Broadway looked different than the dancers in ballet companies. They were more muscular and more fit and more, like, you know, so I wanted to, I, I ultimately I've never really wanted to be a ballet dancer. Ballet was always my first love, but it was my, uh, my uh, entrance in the dance world to, to get the technique that I wanted to do the things that I want to do. So I start like really like following those like Broadway dancers that was, they were an inspiration for me. And that's where I got introduced to fitness and start working out because I wanted to get that Broadway body that people say. Um, so then I start combining the the workouts and going to workout classes and lifting as well as taking my dance classes. And that's how I got involved into it. And I, just like ballet, I fell in love with fitness. And that's why now I'm a personal trainer and a fitness trainer because that's like really became a second love for, for me. And it's something that I enjoy doing right. it and I enjoy coaching it. That's amazing. I love that. And like, do you do you still do you have to find yourself practicing dance often, or is that something that skill that you can pick up quickly, or do you usually do movement or, or uh, dancing classes? 
directing currently still along with your acting and everything. Yeah, so I mean, dance. I think just like the acting, but like the acting, but dance is it's it's a like your body it uses the muscles and the coordination. So it's something that you have to keep practicing. It's like it never ends. Um, right. So yeah, I do still take dance classes. Of course, I don't take as many as I would when I was studying. That I would take twelve, fifteen, sixteen dance classes right. a week. Now I take like one or two uh, to keep it up, but also once I start working and and like being shows and things like that, I was dancing for eight hours a day doing rehearsals or doing eight shows a week. So that's kind of like keeps you in shape. Uh, Definitely during quarantine was hard for me because I'm not a good person to take online classes and dance in my living room. I don't have the discipline. So I've tried to like keep up with my stretches to to keep my flexibility in check, but definitely did not take as many classes as some other people would have have been doing. But yeah, it's definitely something that you can never you, you never reach a level that you say like, oh, I don't need to take class anymore. I'm always gonna be on point. You you gotta keep right. working. Sure. Very well said. Well, very cool. I want to talk about you are opening out your profession, which I absolutely love. Talk about coming out process to yourself when did you first come out to yourself and when did you kind of first find your lgbtq tribe or community i came out quite early for myself and for like family and friends as well it didn't take me long uh i was living in porto Alegre, which is a big city in the south of brazil that's when i moved out of my mom's house when i was 16 to do the acting conservatory after a year living there and being in a professional acting conservatory where I met a lot of people that were out and they were happy and it's like they they just I've never been in 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 contact with with let's say like gay people that were out and comfortable because in my hometown I didn't know anybody so for me that was always okay. like something that I that I hid from from everyone and even from myself so when I met these people and they were so happy and their lives just seemed like flawless and perfect in my in my mind because they were so comfortable with themselves, that's when I start I think having thoughts of like, oh, this is not a bad thing or this is not something that will make me unhappy because clearly my friends are happy, way happier than I am. So I was about 17 when I um, started like, really like coming to to my senses that like I think I'm I'm gay and I okay with it. Uh so once I think I kissed my the my my ex, my first boyfriend back in the day like when I was 17 and and the same day that I kissed him for the first time, this boy, I called all of my closest friends and asked them to come to my house and I just told them all at once. Uh Aww. and then I think about a month or a month and a half after that, when I was about to turn 18, my mom came to visit me, and I just, I just never wanted to hide anything. Or I, once I was comfortable with myself, I didn't care what the other people think. I just wanted to be myself and be happy. So I told my mom and my family, uh, and it was like everything within like three to four months. I just came out to everyone. I love that. And then did you start feeling your own authentic self and did that help your self-esteem and pride and everything? Absolutely. Like the change in my personality and the way that I acted towards other people 
changed so much because I think I was so worried trying to fit in in a way that I wasn't authentic, it wasn't me, um, that I was always very feisty with people because I wasn't happy and I, I, like I wasn't myself. And once I accept myself and people accept me for who I was, like it was a completely different, like it changed everything for me in terms of like relationship with my friends. I started making new friends that were like really close to me and my relationship professionally, even with acting and, and, and performing, uh, I've changed because I was way more open. And I think for like, for the, the performing world as a dancer, as an actor, you you got to be open with your emotions and your feelings in order to be able to right. succeed to a certain level. That is awesome. I love hearing that. That's fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of your career. And you've done a couple of my favorite things. I mean, Evita, I love. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is so funny. What are some of your favorite memories of being on stage as far as musicals or theater goes? Uh, wow, that's yeah. I did some really fun shows, which was like was really exciting for me to to have that dream in in Brazil and, and be able to really like be on stages around United States, just doing what I love. Um, Dirty Run Scoundrels was my second professional contract in United States, and I think it was one of my favorites, just because the cast and the creative team was so wonderful, and we were in in Hilton Head in South Carolina, which is gorgeous there. So it felt like we were, I felt like I was on vacation because I would go <laughs> rehearse and do what I loved and then come back to these beautiful houses and my day off would go to the beach. It was, it was really, it was really wonderful. The director from that show and choreographer uh, is like to this day, one of my good friends I've, I've done. Then after that, I've done anything goes with him as well. And a few of nice. the people from the cast. Yeah. It's been, I think that's a, it's a special show for me. It was it was it was really it was really I was really fortunate because he was actually one of my dance teachers at school. That's how I met him, and then I've auditioned for him for for the Rotten Scoundrels right after when I was about to graduate. And I think a month after my graduation, I got an offer, and it was really it was really exciting for me. Congratulations. How cool. What was your toughest role for you to take on that you felt you needed to work the hardest to really nail down? The hardest role, uh, well, most of my roles in, in musical theater was as a dancer in the ensemble. Um, I think On the Town was on the hardest just because the choreography and the musicality of that show, it's so specific uh, it's just not a standard like a count music and and is very demanding. That's where my ballet training had to kick in because it's very technical show. Mm-hmm. It was definitely one of the most challenging also because we didn't have that long to put the show together. I think we only had less than two weeks to choreograph oh, wow. and learn the whole show and it's it's quite of a long show. So I think that was the most demanding for me for sure. Wow, that's very cool. And talk about dancing. I mean, you've been at the Hollywood Bowl with the LA Philharmonic. Talk about one of your some of your favorite dance performances as far as just pure dance. Uh, so that's funny. At the LA Philharmonic with I've worked for them um 
twice before the the Hollywood Bowl. I've done like a couple operas as a dancer for them with Yuval Sharon, which is a, he's an amazing opera director. And then the Hollywood Bowl. The funny thing is that we, like me and the other three dancers, didn't dance at all. The audition was very demanding. It was a full ballet audition, very hard. And then we got into the show, and because Into the Woods doesn't really have dancers, we didn't really have any dancing. We had just like some movement to kind of connect the whole play together. But it was, it was amazing. Like I mean, I got to stand at the Hollywood Bowl with an amazing cast like Sutton <laughs> Foster, Patina Miller, Cheyenne Jackson. It was just like, it was incredible to be in a in a show like that with, with like Tony Award winners on stage with right. us. Um, but definitely, oh like God. it was definitely not not demanding dance wise, which I'm okay with it. It was an amazing experience. Um, I've did I've did a couple like shows just as a dancer. I've had uh, an experience working a cruise ship before. Those were like actually, to be honest, one of the most demanding contracts I've had because of the amount of shows we had and the um, uh, and the amount of dance we had per show. I love all that, though. That's so awesome. Talk about what, if you could create your own dream role in dance or on musical theater, what would you want to dance, and what would, role would you like to take on in musical theater? Uh, I don't know if I want to create something new, but I do have uh, a big love for Bob Fosse stuff. I think before before my knees give in, I really want to do a production of Chicago. I, it's just, I just think it's his choreography. It's so brilliant. The, the, the detail of it. And it's just sexy, but not sexual. It's, I just love the subtleness. And I think Chicago, it's one of my, my goals before, before I like move on maybe to something else in life. I want to do a production nice. in Chicago. I had other other dreams as well, but I think Chicago is on the top of my list right now. That is awesome. I love Chicago. It's such a, it's fun. I like. Um, did you ever go to any of the backwards nights or the or the reverse nights in Broadway? I love when the guys always do the <laughs> Chicago girls numbers because the girls numbers are really cool in Chicago, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I haven't I haven't been to one of them but I've seen like many many videos of it I had some friends that were in it um, I did see several block tango uh, done in the Broadway backwards which right. was really cool yeah it's so much fun to watch you guys do it I love it that's fantastic well very cool let's go on um, talk about your acting what kind of work are you looking for now what what would you I mean LA is so everything the entertainment business is closed down right now but did you have any projects on the burner going into this is there something that's on your radar you'd really like to uh, do one one of these days as far as film or screen work absolutely yeah so that's one of the reasons why I came to LA because I wanted to start tapping into my acting again because after musical theater school I got kind of sucked into the dancer role um which i loved it but i wanted to like get back to acting uh which ended up that i did a lot of i i still can do my dancing here in lake because there's just so much happening here um but i've been working uh the past year in into 
gathering materials and like getting myself out there to, to, to TV and, and movies. I do love TV, I think, more than I love movies for some reason. I think it comes from like my Brazilian background of like grow up watching soap operas all the time. And I love that like right. in, in a TV show, you get to like create a character that kind of lives for longer and you can kind of build the character within the show. And that's really interesting to me. And that's where like I'm focusing right now with, with like my representation team. That's where I like my manager is coaching me to get, get that going for me. Nice. Well, hopefully we'll get a pilot season again soon. <laughs> Once everything oh, clears up, right, and get out there and start happen. auditioning. I know. Crazy, right. huh? Wow. I love that so much. Well, let's talk about some of your other skills. I need to talk about TikTok, dude. You have 80,000 followers <laughs> already. You've only been on since April. Half a million views. <laughs> you are killing it on TikTok. How fun is that? You look like you're having a blast. So that's really funny to me because before the pandemic, I was so against TikTok. I think because I'm I'm aging, like I'm not like eighteen, twenty anymore. So I was like, this is like, (laughs) but but I was like, this 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 new app is for young kids. is not is not for me. I'm not gonna get into it. I already have like too much work trying to keep up with Instagram and Facebook and whatever. Oh, the pandemic kicked in, and I, I had so much free time and I was like you know what I'm just going to download this app and watch to see what it is because I didn't even know how it worked and then right. I was like oh, I'm going to do a video or just to see let's let's play with it and for some reason just to start like rolling and it was crazy I think one of my first videos kind of went viral and I woke up the next day and I went from having like 500 followers to almost 10,000 and I'm like wow and then I got excited like doing it and and I think I could start expressing this more comedic side of myself that on Instagram or maybe other places I didn't have the opportunity to. And I think right. that's what like, excites me a little to like just be able to be silly and and just like be funny because a lot of the times like I like in this business you feel like you have to behave a certain way. And I just used TikTok right. to like have fun. I had the time. I was like I'm just doing videos. Like I would find fun audios and I wanted to lip sync and just make it my own. And for some reason, like kind of took off, which was, was weird to me because I never expected. And I have a lot of fun doing it. It's like, just kind of like a hobby for me. Well, it is. It's hilarious. I think you are funny as hell and they're just a lot of fun. And seriously, you were just killing it for only being on there for a few months, my friend. So awesome job on that. And we'll give out that handle at the end. Talk about um, – I want to talk about your fitness because, like I said, you do have an amazing body. And I think that helps with the TikTok. But let's talk about the discipline involved in it. I have a fitness correspondent come on every week. Talk about what you find works best for you. What are some tips that you might have for the listeners that helps you keep the body that you have? Uh, well, the first thing that I would say, because I, I, I get a lot of people asking me that on social media, uh, the first word that you have to think about it is consistency. Like you got to be consistent. It's not like going to the gym once a week and eating healthy on Saturdays will not do anything for you. Uh, consistency because wow. your body takes time to change. Um, and I think like I really am not one of those crazy guys that do 
like really harsh diets or fasting or keto. And I don't do any of those. I know that there's things that my body eat healthier and uh, not like kind of just be mindful of what I'm putting into my body. But there's days that I want to have a burger if I've been if I know that it's a week that I've been pretty good. I'll have my cheat day. I'll like you know it's not it's not that hard. It's not that anal as some people think it is. You gotta you just right. gotta like be consistent and working out. It, like if I I think the dance for me helped a lot with like form and and knowing how to move. If mm-hmm. you are not very familiar with it, I would say finding like a class or like a group fitness class that you you start learning the movements or how to position your body because that's a, there's a lot of uh, effect of how you do the movement for me to get the growth and the and the and the results that I'm looking for and and really it's just just being mindful of like cutting down some things that maybe if you like to eat a lot of sweets you cut down or you like substitute something a little healthier. It's it's for me. There's not much of a secret. More than just like be consistent and be determined. Like if that's something that you want to do, you gotta like make a plan and follow. Great advice. I love that. In fact, one of our special fitness correspondents two weeks ago, I think, said the same thing. It's like you people say keep away from carbs. It's like no carbs are good. That helps give you the energy to do things. It's just the type of carbs that you use. You have to pay attention to. You just have to. Absolutely. It's not about limiting. It's about finding the right things that work for your body right yeah and when i was doing when i was uh finishing my my certification as a personal trainer i i had a, a chapter in nutrition which was really interesting because i see a lot of people doing those crazy diets that they cut a bunch of things out of the diet your body doesn't respond well to that your body like like the other guy said like carbs are good for you they are they are source of energy if you don't put that into your body then your body is going to have to use the protein that you have for energy, so then that protein is not going to be used for muscle recovery, so you're not going to get the growth that you're looking for. So it's just like, I think everything with moderation and just knowing how, like how, what you put, like I said, like you're putting into your body and and how much of it. Like, you, of course, you're not going to eat a loaf of bread, but a little bit of carb before you're working out and and a little bit of carbs after working out is actually recommended. So your body has something to, to feed off of it instead of using your protein to recover. Very well said. I love that. And just to take a look at how nice uh, we have of a body there, talk to me about this Yup! magazine spread and how do I subscribe to that? Goodness gracious. You were in some fine shape for that, my friend. That was an amazing spread you did for that. I don't even know how long ago that was. Do you remember oh that God, magazine at remember- all? Oh my God! It has been so long. I think it was was I. I think I did a photo shoot with a photographer back at, like when I was in New York around 2016, 17. Um, I did a lot of photo shoots with with those artistic photographers, and then the photos got picked up. I think uh, for a magazine. It was I didn't even know. It was kind of a surprise to me. Like I found out later on. So I don't like it was through I think it was through the photographer's work uh, more okay. than just like well, it's an amazing spread. I'm telling you, you were in tip-top shape at the time, my friend. Good on you. Yeah, I think <laughs> it was right it was right around Broadway Bears. I think I was doing Broadway Bears 2016. 
and I wanted to be in really good shape because I was going to be dancing shirtless and aside from those <laughs> Broadway dancers that I've been looking up to for so many years. So I that's when I was like on the top of my game, just being extra dedicated to, to be looking good for it. There you go. All right. Well, I have to give you a little bit of, uh, I got to tease you a little bit because I like to do this with all my actors on there because when I do my research, I do lots of research and sometimes actors have their resumes or things posted and I found one of yours and under miscellaneous skills, it has circus clown, bartender, singer, stripper, and whistler. What makes you a good whistler? I got to put you on the spot. Oh my God, this resume must be old. Um, I, I, the internet well, never dies. <laughs> right? That's probably like from back, back in the day. Well, first, like, I know that there's a lot of people that can whistle, which is funny to me, but I do also can play the hand flute. So I can kind of like play a flute with my hands together. I don't know how to, if that makes sense. It but does. That I is didn't, like, that's a skill. I like that. Yeah. So when I was in school, like people usually told us, like our our coaches told us, like on special skills, you want to put things that will trigger a conversation in the audition room so you can get more time to show your personality. So like, sure. So I put like a hand flute. Like now I think on my resume, I have dog barking and hand flute and some things that usually people are like, <laughs> what is this? And then, I get another five seconds to show them what else they can do. There you go. It gives me an extra five seconds to talk about. It. I love, love finding those. I can't always find them, but when I can, it's a lot of fun. I love <laughs> that. So much fun. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Richard, you've been an absolutely charming interview. I'm so excited to know you, and I can't wait to see you on big things in television because you have the look, you have the talent, and I'm very excited to have you on my show, my friend. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Tell all my listeners where they can follow you on Instagram and where they can find you on social media and especially TikTok. Sure, yeah. So my social media is Lee Stender. is my first and last name either for TikTok or Instagram. It's Richard Biglia. Biglia is B-I-G-L-I-A, Italian last name. So just first name, last name on Instagram and uh, TikTok. Fantastic. All right, well, stay on on the line, my friend. Guys, we're going to play out a little bit of music here. When we come back, I'll have another great guest. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. When everyone knows everyone, it's hard to feel at peace. Never know who might be sitting at the table next to me I'm always someone's cousin, someone's brother, someone's son And everyone knows everything about crazy stuff I've done In this thick around town All small talk is the same When nobody's a stranger and my name means everything
Where the biggest news is more than who's having a baby and who might get a divorce. No one thinks they know me from the stories they've been told. And I don't have to think twice about the hands I want to hold. A thousand other people on any given train. Here I'm just another stranger and my name don't mean a thing. That was Hayden Joseph with My Name, his newest single. If you missed uh, Hayden's interview, we just had him on last week for Music Monday. You can check that out. Check out all of our shows on leftofstraight.com. You can uh, download from your favorite podcast distributor like iTunes and Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. Do me a favor, if you go uh, check out some some episodes and download them, just click the little subscribe button there. You always get a notification, decide if you want to listen to them or not, if you're interested in the artists I have on that day. And if you really like it, listen to the episode, please give me a five-star rating, because the better ratings we have, the higher it goes in the search engine, the people can find the Left of Straight podcast. So I appreciate all of your support on there. Hope you enjoyed tonight's show. A big thank you to my guest, Patrick Hines, of course, does the True Crime Obsession podcast. Amazing. Three and a half million other people list download it every month, guys. And Richard Biglia, thank you so much. Um, congratulations on all your acting work and dancing and looking forward to seeing you on the screen real soon, my friend. Tomorrow, we're going to have a great, we're going to do a Music Monday on a Wednesday, because I have so many great musical guests I've interviewed last week. Um, Coming up first tomorrow night is going to be Ben Hazelwood. He's one of my new favorite singers. He is Australian. He was on the Australian Voice and was in the finals on that, did not win, but sung his little heart out. He's got a new single out uh, called Lion that's absolutely phenomenal. So I did an interview with him. It was midnight my time last, two in the afternoon his time. So we had a 14-hour time difference, but a great interview. So he'll be on first tomorrow. And then another great group that I'm falling in love with, their unsung Lily is their name, Sarah and Frankie are the two singers. They are wife and wife and amazing voices. And you heard their song, their uh, stripped down version of Maniac at the beginning of the show today. I've fallen in love with their singing as well. So they'll be on tomorrow. And if it's Wednesday, we always have a little pop culture minute with our J and J buzz guys, Josh and Jeff out of Nashville, Tennessee. 
So that's a big show tomorrow. We'll be here all week long through Friday, every night, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time. If you want to find out who the guests are, just what's going on in Left to Straight Land, please follow us on social media. On Instagram and Twitter, mine is at Left of Straight. That's always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. On Facebook, it's the Left of Straight show page. And my personal Facebook is Scott Fullerton. It's public. You can send me a friend request. And I will go ahead and say hello on there. And I do have some great interns doing some great work for me right now. You can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Left of Straight Show. So great job they are doing. So that's it for tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Hope you're having a great week so far. Tomorrow is hump day. Get through tomorrow. We'll go into another weekend. I appreciate you all so much, and have a great night. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.